Welcome to Marsha's Plate, a black trans-inclusive feminist podcast. A place where we know that not everybody is invited to the cookout. And we also know that every single day is a brand new day and we have the power to make a difference today. So let's do this. Brand new day, brand new day, make it better than yesterday. You can always find a way to turn it all around again. It's a new day, brand new day, make it better than yesterday. You can always find a way to start over again. Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Just search for Marsha's Plate, M-A-R-S-H-A-S-P-L-A-T-E. Y'all ready? Let's get started. Hey, what's up, y'all? Hey, hello, hello. darling. Yo, so this is, a, it's a lot going on this weekend. We have, um... Jenna Jackson Appreciation Day, because yes. in this house, <laughs> we don't celebrate no motherfucking NFL football shit. <laughs> Happy Jenna Jackson Appreciation. I can dig it. I'm here for that. Words. Yes. And it's Valentine's Day. Today or tomorrow? Tomorrow. 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 Yeah. So I'm single. So this is this feels like a um a relationship day. <laughs> <laughs> it's a holiday to celebrate. So, uh, so I, tell us about you it. So? <laughs> yes, you I don't do. Uh, no, no, no. The way Dom is self care set up, bitch. I can see you doing something cute for yourself, doing like a massage. Get, get, have somebody deliver y'all some some roses. Mm. Going, going to a yes. movie. I can see yes. all of that. All of that. I need all of yes. that. But no, yes. I'm 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 I, I'm not broke, but I'm I'm I got a trip coming up, so I want money for my trip, so I can't spend no money. Uh, uh, right, 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 right. That so you know, I'm sitting in the house tomorrow. <laughs> I, I might go get a little, you know, a little dinner, you know, mm-hmm. a little, little mm-hmm. self-care dinner, but you know, I really have no plans. Um, today I'm gonna watch Euphoria and have fun and you know do my thing because you know my stay at home. I've been we re- re- <laughs> I've been re-watching The Crown and that's quite interesting. Um, and so yeah, I'm just gonna chill and listen to Janet Jackson all day. Stream Janet Jackson. Janet <laughs> Jackson. I'm gonna do nothing. You know, I'm single, <laughs> ready to mingle. It's also COVID, so I'm gonna chill at the crib and stay safe. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, maybe watch a movie or something. But yeah, I'm just taking it easy. I had a good, pretty decent weekend, so I'm gonna just chill. 
What about you, Mia? You got a boo? So what y'all doing? <laughs> we are definitely going to go out to eat. We do that every Valentine's. I'm going to find something cute to wear and just get dressed up and be cute and, and, and enjoy each other company. Um, I think that's about it. Yeah. Nice. That's, and that, that's what we try to do. Like just, just have our time together, like share those um, moments together. Cause you know, um, Z is my first Valentine. Oh, he's a lot of first lot of things like my first Valentine, mm. my first boyfriend. Um, well, yeah, my a first a lot of things, honey. I'm not gonna go into a lot, but yeah, a first for a lot of things. So we we share a lot of things together. So I'm excited to create memories here, make some more memories. So here, what know? in the in y'all? Because y'all been together for four years now. What Ooh. what? If you look back at not all the Valentine's Day that you have had with him, what has been your favorite one? Like when what was that? Um my favorite one was when we went to raw sushi and um because it had like an ambiance, like it was it was dim, but like it had like this staircase to go to the um the top, you know, over there in um where I pick is, I forgot what where that is. It's about a galleria, but um Highland it, Village. Yeah. It they had like um a staircase that came all the way to the top. We took pictures and then uh-huh. when we got inside, it was kind of dim. And so we were able to like enjoy each other in, in that type of ambiance. So it was cute. Like like I had never um just did something romantic like that, even though it wasn't like a five five star restaurant i still appreciated everything like i think a lot of people think like oh you gotta go all out you gotta spend all this money just to make your girl feel good and i think it's um it's the small things that count like when you actually like are meaningful about them like you actually take your time and think things out like because i feel like he he chose that ambiance for a reason it was fun that's my favorite um valentine's yeah, Ross oh. Sushi, that that particular one, I went there a lot for birthdays. I've never been there for any kind of like date or anything. Um, but it does have a nice little vibe to it. It doesn't it yeah. the cost isn't five star, but the look is really, really five star. It's really yeah. it really looks really nice in there. It's really romantic looking. It's um you know, it has that, it's like black and red theme and it's Asian. So because it's a sushi bar kind of it's, but it's like elevated a little bit. And mm. so it, it has that black and red kind of Asian theme, but more modern. And it just, it's, I like it. I think it's, I think it, I can see what you, what you get because it is very romantic and the lighting is, especially at night. Now in the daytime, it looks kind of because how, because it's such big ass windows and the sun can just shine through. It just looks like a normal kind of place. But when it's nighttime and they have their own lighting popping off, it looks really, really romantic. So I get what you're saying. It's really, really nice. It does. Oh, I'm trying to think. Have you ever had um, a romant- romantic um, Valentine's Day little situation in your life, Jay? LJ? Uh, oh, my goodness. It's been a minute. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Oh my goodness, it's been a while, y'all. I'm drawing blanks on that, but uh, I'm going out to eat. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm going out to eat. I've done stuff like that, but not. I haven't done like uh, 
you know, anything, you know, I don't, I don't have any uh, stories of anything. Uh, like, you know, we went, I don't know, you know, in a coach or something, you know, coach strong carriage, you know what I mean? A horse strong carriage or anything like, oh. that, like that, but. Oh no, you no, did. not <laughs> like that. No, okay. <laughs> but definitely I've had like, you know, going out to eat and things like that, you know, okay. so. Do y'all remember y'all you, Valentine, like as a child? Like, did y'all get any Valentine's when y'all were younger? At school. At school? You know, we okay. had we had to, uh, everybody had, <laughs> had to have a Valentine's and make cards and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Bring candy had to, to school. make them and put those little um, chalky ass candies on it with the little words mm-hmm. on it. I like the, those the, the, you're talking about the, yeah. the hearts, diamond, those hearts. Um, yes. The hearts that feel like chalk, honey. Yeah. Um, Yep. Yeah, I I remember that. I actually never, even when I was in a relationship, celebrated Valentine's Day mm. because my birthday is two weeks later, and I, we were mm-hmm. always poor, honey. I, I was always like, mm-hmm. "Don't worry about no fucking Valentine's Day. Just focus on my birthday. So don't spend <laughs> no money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't mm-hmm. spend no money on Valentine's Day. I need you to focus on my birthday because right. my birthday is coming up in." Uh, my birthday tomorrow. <laughs> What's that right. um right. viral video where he's like, My birthday tomorrow. <laughs> I'm there. My birthday is coming. Don't worry about no damn um Valentine's Day. I want you to right. worry about my birthday. And so yeah, I never really I never really was in a situation where I cared about Valentine's Day, even when I was in a relationship, because it was so close to my birthday. So yeah, okay. I, I don't have any memories revolving it i just i just you never celebrated it um but yeah when i was a kid i do remember um liking the candy that we get it was almost like a like a not as emphasis on candy like halloween but that was another day that you would come Mm -hmm. home with a bunch of candy (laughs) either you know them little hearts some little um what's the ones that is like they kind of rolled up in like a little plastic and they're like long in a row. The Smarties. It's like a bunch of little candies. The Smarties. They're kind of chalky too. Are they yeah, Smarties? the Smarties. Yeah. But they twist yeah. it up. They twist yeah. it up. Yeah, they twist it up in the little plastic and it's just a bunch of them in a row, like a little cylinder. Yeah. Um, I remember having a bunch of them because I used to like them. The hearts. Those were good. And I remember they used to do like, um, not nerds, um, but was it Skittles? Maybe Skittles in a heart shape sometimes. Like they would be pink, mm. white, and red during the. Oh, yeah. Day. Yeah. It yeah. would be different. Um, You know, I remember that being a good time and <laughs> when I was a kid. It really yeah. was like, oh, this is another day we get a bunch of damn candy. Okay. And okay. they would make it some kind of arts and craft moment. So you would have to. Um, oh, I remember in. Um, I don't know if it was kindergarten. It couldn't have been kindergarten. It had to be a little bit further than that. It might have been second grade. We had to take these little pieces of paper, but they looked like, they were paper, but they looked like lace. And you can cut them mm -hmm, and decorate mm -hmm. your heart. Mm-hmm, and I remember mm-hmm. the I, know I remember it looked like I can't remember what it was called, but it looked it was just a bun, it was just a paper that had the design on it, but it looked like lace. Like when you put it on stuff, it looked like lace. And we had little contests that I won because I was fabulous. <laughs> we had a little <laughs> contest on decorating your heart. And um my teacher put it on on the outside of her door, every little heart 
that was Aww. made. She put it on yeah. her door, and it was super cute. I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> it made me feel special because she put my heart in the middle because it was okay. <laughs> okay, right. But you know what? To your point, Diamond, about birthdays. The the longest relationship I was in with my ex partner, we were together for a minute. But anyway, point is, their birthday is right after Valentine's Day, so it was kind of like a combo time. I think that's why I was like Valentine's Day. You know, it was like. You know, mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. yeah, it's like the same week of Valentine's Day. So it's just like we doing no, multiple no, things no, at one no, time. We celebrated. Um, I remember like when I was younger, you know how you used to have to um go buy your Valentine's cards and do everybody's name on them and put it in their little cup, y'all. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember and, that. And mm-hmm. then at the end of the day, you would collect everybody's Valentine card that they sent to you. And some people will put little messages on theirs and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to um I used to be so excited that my little crush sent me one, but he had to he had to do it anyways. But I used to think it was just for me. Funny and yeah. did they come in like a little box, like a little box with a yeah. bunch of Valentine's Day little cards yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. Um I also remember the little mm-hmm. fake cigarettes that that oh, yeah. were like little candy the that had little paper on them. And when you blew them, the little dust would come out like you smoking. Yes. <laughs> I remember, I remember that. that. What other candies I remember? I don't know. It just, just I, Valentine's Day so always was like a like a mini Halloween, man. It was like, yeah. oh, we don't get candy. Yeah. I remember that it was candy that we were getting. But I it's more candy it heavy than chocolate heavy. You know, like Halloween, you get like chocolate, like chocolate bars and stuff. Like candy. I feel yeah. like it's more like candy specific for uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah. yeah, and usually it had some. Now sometimes it'll be chocolate, like you know. We always had those little boxes with the little chocolate in them, and I I'm not a chocolate fan, mm. so I hated it, and I hated the assortment. Oh my god! One thing that I hate about <laughs> that, I hated the assortment of chocolates that you get in like, oh, yeah, chocolates. I like yeah. when it's all one thing. I don't like assorted because I'm I feel it's a waste if I don't like this one. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not definitely gonna, gonna be some you don't like. I'm only gonna have like two or three <laughs> that I'm gonna put in my mouth and eat, and then I gotta waste the rest of them. And usually, my my mom, if if usually the ones that I like, my mom likes. So if if I don't get to the oh. box fast enough, honey, she's gonna scarf them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I never really oh. nobody is gonna eat the little one with the orange in it, or I don't know that the coconut too. one if they don't yeah. like coconut. Yeah, I hated yeah. that shit. I was like, put it, yeah. make it all. I feel that. <laughs> a cup or something. <laughs> right. I used right. to always think of uh, Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. And that's how I always hey. would think of every time I would eat. Like, yeah, what the fuck am I gonna get this time? <laughs> no. Yeah, it was not so funny. I did not like no Forrest Gump moment. Give me my flavor. What? Which one? I used to take. My mother used to hate this when she would buy them. I would take my finger and crack it up in the seat. And waste the taste of it. Uh, I like. Do you, what's your What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? My, my favorite is um, the Dove ones with the um, with the caramel in them. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Mine is the peanut butter. Anything with caramel or most, I, I like anything mm. with peanut butter and chocolate mix or caramel. 
anything with coconut or orange or mm. um, oh, I did like the cherry ones too. I like I like dark chocolate and cherry. Mix. Me too. I do. Um, I love that. Yeah. Uh, other than that, when it has like some coconut or I remember one used to have um, oh them Hello. fucking what's them eggs that you crack and there's some stuff in them them cra- Cadbury eggs. Cadbury <laughs> eggs. The Cadbury eggs. I don't like them. Really? Y'all talking about the Easter them, them mm-hmm. Easter candies? Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. they'll be like it's like oh, that's Easter, but sometimes yeah. during the, the, during Valentine's Day it'll oh, be, it'll be like a, egg, a little circle that if you crack yeah. it open, it's creamy on the inside. Ugh, didn't like them, and it'd be like red yeah. too. Right? <laughs> sometimes it'd be red. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it'd be white, like a weird nougat. No, yeah, or they would have like those sponge looking like um them sponge looking candies. They they look like um slices of orange oh like uh like gummies oh kinda. them peanuts yes. them orange peanuts Ugh, yeah. i hate them oh I hate them. those are almost as bad as candy corn i don't like candy corn those are almost as bad as that to, um no we is not oh, about the not... same candy corn not, candy not in, no that, that is blasphemy <laughs> listen all right. I mean, you know, I don't I mean, like candy corn. Do I, like candy I corn? don't like candy corn. Candy corn. Okay. So your reaction to the, like the, the, whatever blown up peanut, but peanut orange candy thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know exactly what you're talking about. So they look like about, slices. Yeah. That's how I feel about candy corn. Like your face diamond, your face. I feel you. <laughs> so that's how I feel about <laughs> candy corn. Candy corn is not like that. To me, it's like, it's just like, what is this? It's like, I don't know if it's like too, like, I remember wax candy as a kid, you know, with different types of wax candies, but it's something about candy corn. that's just like too syrupy or something. It's like too candy and two corn, two corn syrup candy. It's two <laughs> corn syrup candy. Maybe that's what it is. It's, it's, it's just too much. I feel like I can taste the, like I'm breaking the sugar down mm. in my mouth. You know what I mean? Because the texture of it, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit much for me, but so I'm going to edit that out. We don't do... <laughs> <laughs> Well, nobody coming, coming for nobody. <laughs> this is this is sacrilegious. <laughs> clearly, clearly, um, LJ didn't get the memo. <laughs> to our team candy corn, we love candy corn on here, even if we don't. <laughs> and that's cool. But, I will yeah. give you any candy corn I get. <laughs> Gladly, <laughs> I hold. I make sure I hold on to it, so I got somewhere to go. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all tell us what are some of your favorite <laughs> valentine's day memories let us know what you did for this weekend for that um for jenna jackson appreciation day um because you know mm-hmm. that other stuff i'm gonna talk about it a little bit before we go wait 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 if y'all notice i don't know if y'all pay attention to super bowl but if y'all notice they put out all the black stars. They had Mary Mary singing in the beginning. They had Holly Berry. Yeah. Holly Berry. Yeah. Baby, did they <laughs> even hire any white people for this? They, baby, they are trying all the to entertainment black. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah. the entertainment blacks. The hood people like uh Dr. Dre and uh Snoop Dogg. They had Mary. It, baby, they the had like, all the yeah. sucking dive tactics. I heard a commercial and it was like. Mary J. Blige, Dr. Dre, blah, 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 Snoop Dogg, all these black people, Negroes, Negroes, Negroes. Eminem, like, he's the only white I was, like, I was like, what is this? 
for one soup for one halftime show. Y'all know y'all you know fucked up now. Now you know you now you know you don't fucked up now. Cause like, like they what? said this this will bring the blacks to us. This will bring oh. this will stop all that racial foolishness. Foolishness. And it's still not let the let the blacks just perform and do what they want to do. That's and some bullshit. Then we'll be back in their good graces. We had Jay Z come and work us out. The majority of us That's gonna be watching that after the show. The only, the only time they gonna be back in that great graces is when they fucking get rid of that law in Florida that exempts you from uh no what is that exempt people but like um if you make a white person uncomfortable they can sue you or some bullshit with uh Black History what? I forgot. Yeah, some bullshit. I was like, girl, they can really do that. That's when you can make us feel better. Take that shit away. Wow. Yeah, they're getting pretty wild with that, with those with the legislation, though. But well, yeah, anyway, that's, that's wild. The, the, if you have anything negative to say <laughs> about um, the NFL, please hashtag us. We will love to retweet it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, tell us about your favorite childhood Valentine's Day memory or your favorite Valentine's Day with your boo. and right. or, booze. or booze. Or well, booze. Come on. Hey. Or booze. So let us know. Hashtag Marsha's Play. You're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101. Now listen, I know that what is basic Trans 101 for me could just be the beginning for you. So this is for your basic ass. basic <laughs> for me in this life could be just the beginning for you. As you all know, we are based in Texas, and Texas is, you know, a particularly conservative, shitty-ass state on a political level when it comes to trans issues. <laughs> a lot of issues, but definitely trans issues. They are deep in their anti-trans rhetoric, and so I want to talk about the current foolishness that the governor of this great state is putting out. Governor Greg Abbott and Attorney General Ken Paxton released a non-binding opinion grossly mischaracterizing medically necessary best practice health care for transgender kids. They are calling it child abuse and they are calling for family protective services, which, you know, generally around the country is called CPS, like child protective services. They are calling for them to enforce this opinion, to actually investigate into parents who are actually supporting their children the way all major credible <laughs> medical associations say to support their trans youth. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but it makes sense to me that if all the doctors are saying, this is how you support your trans child, then uh, why are the dumbass governor and attorney general trying to push child protective services to investigate parents who have trans children? 
And also, if that's not bad enough to falsely claim that supportive parents are child abusers and send them through an investigation and harassment from government entities, they are also calling teachers to out trans kids to parents, counselors, et cetera, et cetera, so they can then in turn be on that bullshit to investigate parents who are supporting their trans kids. So let's be very clear on what you need to know about this bullshit that they got going on. Neither the attorney general or the governor can change the law. And their bullshit opinion letter can go suck a dick, a nasty, dirty, stinky one, not the good, juicy, fresh kind. And there is no court in Texas or anywhere in this country that has ever found gender affirming care to be considered child abuse. Texas law protects families from false reports of child abuse. This is political theater on its highest level because we are in the middle of a primary election for politicians who have spent months, particularly 10, <laughs> attacking trans youth since last year. Fear mongering is their only tactic. They know their bullshit is not working. They still feel super, super shitty about losing the 2020 election. And fear mongering fuels bias and discrimination and rally their base because they know this is a hot button topic. And they don't actually give a fuck about kids in the same way that they don't give a fuck about women's sports. This is just a, a tactic. They don't give a fuck about kids because this type of shit puts kids and adults at risk. Because if, say that somebody actually listened to your dumb ass calling this abuse, you're going to take the child out of a home that, they, that they've known that cares for them and put them, what, in a system? A system that we've talked about before in the episode with me and Dominique Morgan that is broken anyway and y'all don't give a fuck about them. Y'all barely take care of kids in the system. Get out of here. Parents have a constitutional right of privacy when it comes to rearing their children. This constitutionally protected right to privacy was really pointed out by Supreme Court Justice William Douglas long, long time ago in this case that I learned about during the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary called Griswold versus Connecticut. Look up the history of that case. And even more appropriate for this particular situation about transgender youth and their parents. There's another case that I learned about from the amazing trans civil rights attorney, Brianna Jenkins, Troxel versus Grainville. This is a case that established that there is a fundamental right under the 14th Amendment for a parent to oversee the care, custody and control of a child. There are other cases that are relevant to this type of parental law, family law, like Myers versus Nebraska and Pierce versus Society of Sisters, 
many cases protects the family in this situation. So do not think that these people have a legal way or there's no precedent that protects parents when they are trying to take care of their children. Do not be fooled. This is a tactic. <laughs> this is a tactic to rally their base, period, because we are in the middle of an election year. And Governor Abbott's time is up and he wants to be able to rally his base. And so that's what he's doing. What you can do to assist us is you can contact a governor, sending them letters, call them, all that kind of shit. Harass them about the bullshit that they are putting out in the political atmosphere. It is toxic. It is unfair. It is unjust. And it does not help trans youth at all. Trevor Project has put out data that shows a rise in suicidal ideations and attempts in trans youth because of all this fucking bullshit that's happening on our political landscape. And as somebody who used to be a trans child, trust me that there is enough on our plate to have to worry about in school <laughs> with the bullies and the social isolation. We don't need to deal with the adults causing us more stress. We are blessed with parents who want to support us and take care of us and affirm us and you want to criminalize them, you're a fucking idiot. You can also support organizations that I have worked with personally that buck up against this system, that fight this fight every fucking week. I have literally traveled with them to the Capitol to do this work. The last time I went, somebody was literally inside the Capitol building holding out a sign, hanging it out the window while hiding their face from the cameras, telling us to go home. I don't have the capacity to go there every week, but there are organizations that do. Organizations like Equality Texas, organizations like Tent, the Transgender Education Network of Texas, led by Emmett Schilling, who has been on the show. These politicians are just throwing shit at the wall, trying to see what sticks. They know that they are on the wrong side of history. They saw that failed attempt to overthrow the government on January 6th. They are hurting. They are sad. They are defeated. And they are just trying anything in their toolbox to attack us. Do what you can to help amplify, support trans people and organizations. The parents of trans youth, send them a little card. No matter how big or small of an action that you can do, do it. And this has been a Trans 101. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my 
finger on the pulse of the community and I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because I put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch I am community is fuck <laughs> so thank you I really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. So... For uh, the Black Histories in the month, I am highlighting uh, Marcel Cook Daniels, who is a Black trans man who's been an advocate, an advocate in the community for a while. He uh, tragically passed away in 1999, I believe. Um, his education and advocacy, ooh, sorry, his education and advocacy work um, included. Um, doing the Butch to FTM Building Coalitions through Dialogue event at creating the Creating Change Conference, which is the largest LGBT conference, I think, in the world, if I'm not mistaken, not just not not just in the United States, um, and also several True Spirit conferences, which were early um, trans-related conferences. He also has been interviewed in photo, photo, uh, photographs sorry, for Love Makes a Family book, the Dawn Atkins book, Looking Queer, Body Image and Identity in Lesbian, Bisexual, Gay, and Transgender Communities, and in the Family magazine. He also was an active supporter of Collage, Children of Lesbians and Gays Everywhere, and provided substantial material and volunteer support to the Transgender Aging Network, four True Spirit Conferences, and the Maryland-based trans masculine group, the American Boys, that eventually folded. Um, I wanted to highlight him, you know, obviously just because he's an elder and an ancestor. Um, but one thing I one thing I also thought that was interesting about his work is um, in that era, too, was this uh, Bush to FTM building coalitions through dialogue. And um, I can remember also early in my transition ar around a lot of spaces being around shared experiences versus uh, identity labels. And I think like today, a lot of times we talk a lot more about identity labels, which is a tool. Yes, we should have them. We own them. Be you have agency. But um, I just think it's interesting that those coalitions, you know, existed through shared experiences and wanted to get your thoughts, Diamond and Mia, about what you think about that, like building through shared experiences versus identity labels or, you know, having that in the mix of how we, you know, organize or do work in the community. Is that something familiar? I mean, is that something that has been in your experience with your transition? Because that's definitely something I've experienced early and prior to 2010 and being in spaces that were like, we all kind of, I would say today, let's maybe say transmasculine as a, um, a bigger umbrella term. I think today that wouldn't be the case because we say that's different than being a trans man. But um, Anyway, it was, yeah, it was like we all kind of walk in this, this space as masculine people who were signed female at birth and are running into some of these challenges around health disparities, not having pelvic exams, running higher risk for 
you know, cervical cancer, ovarian cancer, UTIs and things like that, or, you know, dealing with social stuff, you're being perceived as mad, like, how are you protecting yourself in public? So there's a lot of different things where th- there's a lot of stuff where some of these things are very similar. Um, obviously, there's places where that stuff diverges, but um, those are just some examples of what I mean by like some of the conversations that were happening in those spaces. Um, so, yeah. What do y'all For thoughts? me, identity was really, really important. I don't know, but I, it was like once you in, in my youth, when, once you focused, once you declared what identity you were. Mm-hmm. Then it was expected of you to prove that identity through your lived experiences. Mm-hmm. So if you declare that you were a trans woman, then you need to do the stuff that society says that women do. And, you know, that's when it kind of gets kind of nuanced. Because what if I don't want to do that stuff? Or if I don't want to look like that? What if I don't want to do that stuff in the bedroom? What if I want to do something else? If I want to, it was, there's these kind of expectations that happens with um once you declare a particular identity um that was expected of you like um i remember mm-hmm. and and some of us is okay with it <laughs> mm-hmm. so when i when i mm-hmm. when i um you know when i said that i was a trans woman and no i'm not a butch queen no i'm not just some we we call people who were kind of in in the city that i'm from we kind of there was like this this it's it's called a we call it a e light um, have you ever heard of an e-light? Okay, so um, I've heard this in other places, but it might not be a popular term. Um, e-light, a e-light, where an e-light in our city was somebody who it we would call them a butch queen up in. I don't know if it's a butch queen up in drags. No, not butch queen up in drags, but um, just one of them butch queens that you would see that. You knew they were a boy and they were not trying to be a girl, but their their style, their gender expression was super, super film. Like they mm-hmm. definitely had on makeup. They'll have lashes on, but they'll have a beard. They'll have right. their goatee trim. They'll mm-hmm. have some freeze curls. Right. <laughs> stacked right, up right, on right, their right. head, but they'll have a beard. It'll be connected to their beard. And no, yeah, um, yeah. they'll have, you know, maybe oh. some lashes on, some heels, some pants. Um, they were not trying to be yes. women. They were mm-hmm. literally just extra femme men dressed in women's clothes, and that's they didn't they didn't have chest. They didn't they didn't put chest in. They would mm-hmm. keep some if they had a little taco meat on they on their chest, little hair. Taco it'll meat. be there. They're not taking okay. that off because they, their intention is not to be women. It's just super super femme men, and. We called them Elites in, in our city. They just they were just Elites. And so um I but it was growing up for us, it was very important for the people that I grew up around for you to make the distinction. And that's mm-hmm. why I told y'all a couple of episodes ago that I went through a stage where I didn't want to associate myself because I was young and I was in um and I was you know, impressionable. And I didn't want to associate myself with gay men. Not Mm. just not like, oh, I don't want to be y'all friend, but I was very clear. I am not a gay man. Do not put me in that category. I didn't watch Noah's Ark because that was for gay men. Oh wow! (laughs) I didn't like people hitting me up telling me 
oh, did you watch Noah's Ark? No, that's not for me. I'm a trans woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's for mm-hmm. butch queens. And you're mm-hmm. only saying that to me because you associate my transness with being a butch queen. <laughs> right. It's sometimes, very few times, you know, people asking me, do I watch Drag Race? No. Right. <laughs> I'm not right, a drag right. queen. Don't ask right. me, do I watch Drag Race? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you know, that's my old trauma coming up. I can watch mm-hmm. as a as a trans woman. I can watch drag drag race. I know trans drag queens. You can say mm-hmm. I know that, but part of me, because I don't participate in that type of artistry, it almost feels offensive early right. on. Now, you know, I know everybody into drag race or whatever, but early on, yeah. I would be like, Why are you asking me about drag race? Do you Honey, you try, are you trying it or or not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it, it was that was, but I knew because I was a little bit older at that time, I knew that that was a part of my growing up history that would be offended when you would associate me with a drag queen, when you would right. associate me with a butch queen, when you would associate me with these um with these gay things. And a part of that kind of disassociation was for my lived experience to reflect my identity. So I also got to the point where I didn't want to go to gay clubs because, honey, that's what gay boys do. That's what, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, trainees do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, you Mm -hmm. know, if you fish about it, girl, you you can go all, I mean, you can go to the straight clubs. That's where the the cis girls, we wouldn't wouldn't say cis girls. (laughs) That's more current language. But um, that's what the cis girls do. (laughs) Why are you not going to the straight club? So you're, Mm -hmm. we, we were toxically trying to mimic whatever we thought that you know what I'm saying that the lived experience of a cisgender woman that's what we, want. mm-hmm. we wanted the dudes we wanted the that's what it was and so um because that was the standard that you were going to be judged by so it was kind of like yeah identity was important but the lived experience was important too and it, it was even a flex too like if you you know there, you know transness there's a comp- competitive level to it like who is who is passable who is not passable particularly back in the day it, it's kind of um it's kind of um kind of waning now but back in the mm-hmm. back in the day it was really really in your face who who was passable who was not who 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 can you take to the straight club? Who you can't take to the straight club because you're gonna get your clock. That was that was that was a part of our culture. <laughs> and so it would Listen. it would be a flex for a girl to say, Oh, I got a job at the mall and they don't know my team. You know what I'm saying? That like I got a job at the mall. Like you can't you can't even get a job because you clocky. <laughs> that's why you still working at such and such late at night bartending at the gay club because you can't get a job in the daytime. And is that problematic? Hell yeah. Problematic right. is problematic as fuck. But that was the culture when I was growing up in the 90s. Mm. Like it was a mm. flex for you to be doing something that was associated with Normal. cisgender Quote unquote. Yeah. Being, being, a, um, being a stylist, being a makeup artist, being all these kind of things that were associated with queerness. You know what I'm saying? Queer gay men. Of course you could be a stylist girl. Of course you could be a makeup artist girl. But are you doing something that, you know, the sister the girls do, honey? Not saying, and it, it's all ridiculous, but I'm just sharing. Right. I'm yeah, just sharing the thought process of how I th- how we thought about it um, in, in my younger years. We had to grow up out of that. And so it's interesting for somebody um, like 
Marcel coming up with this kind of more progressive way of thinking in how we engage with the community where lived experience is more important than just the category of, you know, the category that you choose. Well, that's important and mm-hmm. on an individual level, but when we talk about community care, sometimes focusing on the lived experience, I, we say this all the time on this show, you know, the similarities that we have is more important when we're trying to build community. When we're trying to build community with each other, th- it's the similarities that, um, that really resonate with each other so we can be in coalition. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're talking about him because people don't talk about him enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, Mia. Oh, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I, I know you're about to. Um, I was going to say to your, a couple things listening to you, Diamond, too. Like, you know, when he came out as trans, it was like, my understanding with his biography, you know, he wasn't, he thought, you know, he might be the only person, you know, it wasn't that many other trans guys. And they, he and his partner also were like, what do we do now? Cause we just built this whole community with these other lesbians. Right. And so now we're like, and we already dealt with all of this harshness and toxic and harm in the world as this. So we're going to get rejected out of that. What do we, <laughs> what do we do? You know, and I think that, you know, just listening to you talking about just the time, too, when things change and it's like, you know, there's a spaces have evolved as more visibility has been gained for trans trans men and trans masculine folks, because all that was still like hush, hush, dealing with divisiveness through structures that were already in some LGBT, not all, but in some lesbian communities. Um, So that makes sense. I can see why that connection would be there to have a space where if you're somebody who never had a possibility model of being a trans man, and it's always been something you've talked about without actually having quote, like tangible language to, to actually do something about it. And now you can without you're concerned about running to turfy, right? It's like, Oh, you don't want to be a woman. That's too, Oh, you just, it's easy to be a man and all this kind of stuff, rejection from your community and things like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just think, yeah, as time has gone on, there's more, there's more visibility. So are those spaces even needed in this way? I don't know. But Mia, what, what are your thoughts? Um, well, so y'all, y'all know I'm, I'm from a rural part of Texas. So mm-hmm. um, it was even, it was taboo to even be gay. Right. So, um, to be trans was like, what the hell? <laughs> the only trans person I knew in my town was um, was this Hispanic girl who used to um, who used to work, work at a bar at a club, and then this black girl who um, who wasn't even trans. She was she was a drag queen, but she was like on the on the cusp. Like she was scared to transition. It was like she won transition, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. It was like she was afraid because she didn't have a lot of information about it. And then she goes, yeah. and so um, I didn't know anything about transness um, until I watched um, the National Geographic um, a Taboo. And they were talking about genders mm-hmm. and shit. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, 
fortunately, I was able to download, not download, but I was able to be on BGC, which is Black Gay Chat and um, Urban Chat. And I started talking to a lot of uh, um, trans women and just getting tips. Um, And at first, I thought that being a woman was just how I, like, I, I felt like I was just, how can I explain it? I felt like I already was who I was. I was just being allowed to be who I wanted, um, who I wanted to be naturally, if that makes sense. Mm. And so nobody really told me, hey, like, this is what you do and this is what you don't do besides my sister and my mom. Like, oh, you can't, you know, this, you can't wear this to church. Like if you wear it to church, the people are going to think you're, you're a prostitute or people are going to look at you crazy or you can't wear this, you can wear that. And so um, going to mm. Atlanta mm. after after high school and getting into the ballroom community and like them saying, hey, you're, you're real as fuck. Like, like, I wouldn't even have known if you were, if you had a tumble, blah, blah, blah. Um, you could walk Fem Queen realness. And Fem Queen means in a ballroom is a trans woman. And so I'm like, oh, okay. And then they, and then they started to get into the specifics. They were like, okay, so are your hormones? Are your titties real? Um, and I'm like, well, I haven't been on hormones because I can't afford them at the moment. But I was, I used to be on hormones. And I don't, I, I don't dress up. I wear, I'm, I am who I am every day. And they were like, okay, well, you don't got no breasts. And you're not on hormones. So you have to be, you would have to walk drag queen realness. And I was like, drag queen? And I looked at the category and it looked like girls like me walking. So I was like, oh, okay, I could do it. Until one time they had um they had it bring it as a boy and then bring it as a girl. Oh, and I said I was like, what do you mean bring it as a boy and bring it as a girl? Like, yeah, go up there as a boy with a beard or facial hair, and then you go to the back and you come out as a girl and be passable. And I was like, oh no, this isn't for me. I'm right. not a boy. Like I can't just <laughs> what the fuck. I but. but it, I, I was I was so young I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, like Diamond said, like when I would talk, um, when you would talk to other girls, they would they would basically put it in your face, like, "Oh, this is what I got da, 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 to be a woman. And this is what you don't have. This is what makes me better than you because you don't have this and this and this mm-hmm. and this. Like you don't have you don't have breasts yet, or your body isn't done, or you aren't in this." Um, status of your transition so this makes me more of a woman than you are and mm. it used to, it used to make me feel bad but then it also tried it also made me push myself to to further my transition but i'm happy that we're starting to come to an era where we're not operating in with the patriarchy because i feel mm. like a lot of the binary stuff was pushed on trans women. Like I know so many trans women that stopped doing stuff that they liked before they transitioned because they thought that as a girl, as a woman, you couldn't participate in some of those things, like certain sports or certain activities mm. that they liked as a uh, pre-transition, they would stop. And I do too also. 
Because I was mm. like, oh, well, women don't do that. Oh, I have to wear heels every day. I, the type of women I like, they look like this. They do this. They do that. And if I'm going to be taken serious, then I have to present myself this way. And after a while, once you once you start being so binary, and I think it happens with cis women too, sometimes uh, depending on your your social dynamic, that you 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 try to fit that image of what society says a woman is, and it gets tiring. You start to realize that no woman is just this cut and dry. Like, right. no woman is just you know just just this perfect model model of what a woman is. And I'm glad that we're we're not hold, held to that standard because I feel like as um, as I was younger, I missed out on so many different um, opportunities, like things I could have like honed in on as a younger trans woman that I did in like sport. I remember when we first started talking about sport and I know I'm kind of going in, but I'll, I'll end after this. I remember when we first started talking about sports and I didn't realize that I really liked sports when I was younger until recently. I was like, cause I had, I had, I had took it out of my mind so much. I thought that I was, I was in sports because that's what I had to do to perform as a boy. Mm-hmm. And I actually enjoyed sports. Like I really enjoyed it. And um, I wish that I was able to continue it. Cause sometimes I look at um, Trace Lissette, I think. Um, and I look at her like her running and doing track and mm. different other things that um, I stopped myself from doing when I was younger. So um, I'm I'm happy that um, now you're able to identify how you want to and you don't have to walk this straight and narrow path in order to be respected. You should be respected no matter how you identify because it, it really takes the joy out of some people. If they don't fit this cookie cutter image of what you're supposed to be in order to 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 be this quote unquote label, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel that. I feel that, and I mean to your point with that too. Uh, kind of tying those things too, Diamond. You were talking about like just the dynamics, which are talking about like I've definitely seen that in trans men, trans masculine communities, where it's like folks don't want to go, want to be around studs because it's like, oh, they're going to clock me too, basically, or they're going to think I'm a stud. And yeah, I'm, I am glad that there's more spaces for these type of conversations and like that stuff continues to evolve because toxic coping, use like toxic shit to cope with the bullshit when people weaponize your identity, right? Because that's what's happening in this moment where it's like, I don't want to be around studs because everybody don't think I'm a stud. It's not about the studs. It's about somebody else weaponizing that shit against me you know what i'm saying and trying to fuck with me because of who i am you know what i mean even though i can't control everybody in the community but that's at the end of the day that's still what the fuck it is but even in the lesbian and gay community before i transitioned i was in a relationship and somebody said you remind me of an intersex guy and i remember being like what a lot of gay and lesbian people do especially in the 90s oh you don't want to be with a woman you don't want to be gay you don't want to be a lesbian trying to say i'm a man you know what i'm saying so i was offended because i was you know and I came up in a culture where gay people said shit like that. No, I'm a man with a man. I'm a woman with a woman. It was like very transphobic shit regular. You know what I mean? Um, they still but do that. I, but I didn't know that, right? But 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 it, but I understood at the time that it came from this place of hurt. It came from, it was like a coping thing. It was like, you're trying, because straight people were like, if you're going to be a man with a man, you know, why don't you just blah, 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 and all this other shit. So 
um, it's kind of similar to me, um, some of that, because it's not, it is fucked up, but it's also coming from this place of dealing with all these other external stressors, uh, transphobia, homophobia, and all that kind of bullshit, too. Yeah. There was this layer. I don't know if you, I don't know if you relate or if it was still around when you was coming out, Mia, but there was this layer of, and I, th- I still see it now, but it's just, we're coming out of it. There was this layer of, yes, we are coming out as whatever queer identity that we were coming out as, but there was this mirroring of self-hate. There was this mirroring mm-hmm. from the bigger culture that said, this isn't good. This isn't um, that being gay, being trans, being whatever isn't good. So some of the stuff that we were saying, even though <laughs> we knew we were not cisgender. Oh, I know you, what you mean. You see what I'm saying? If you, mm-hmm. I don't want, I'm just a woman. I'm not right, a trans right. woman. I'm don't call me. I'm just a woman. You will hear that kind of thing, that kind yeah, of disgust too- when people associate with being you know those things because the bigger culture said we should hate this and so Mm -hmm. sometimes some of the people in the community they will be mirroring that same exact thing um so i thought you know i think that now we're coming in a space where we're kind of learning that and and i hate that it's uh that it goes so slow but we're kind of learning that you know, it's okay to be us. It's okay to say I'm trans. It's okay for me to be a trans woman and not just a mm-hmm. woman. Um, it's right. okay for me to be trans. It's okay for me to put, be a particular type of woman. And that that adjective of trans does not invalidate my womanhood. It does mm-hmm. not invalidate the noun. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I think a lot of times, you know, because of the mirroring of the culture, the, the dominant culture, that that label of being a gay man or gay woman or um or whatever the whatever those labels sometimes we there will be a rejection of it because uh there was so much negativity and vitriol pushed on that also we yeah. talk about there will be because marcel um are we saying suicide or unalived? Because I'm well, I'm a I lot think of people, people saying unalived. We should uh wait, put wait, the link wait, to the hotline too. Uh, Wait, the, what are you talking yeah. about? He he passed away by suicide. That's how people are saying it by suicide. I think yeah, it's I the, keep, I'm hearing a, a oh you hearing something different. Oh, saying oh not unalive. by suicide. Oh, I heard that, but okay, hey, yeah. So um, <laughs> must be him. So yes, okay. unfortunately, <laughs> um, yeah. Marcel, um, you know, lost his battle with depression when and, um. On the, on, I think 99? 99. Oh, 99. Yeah, in 99. So that was when he was 40 in 99. So he would be around 62 years old yep. this year. Yep. And so this is why um, I really, really want to make it um, important, uh, important to point out that this is something that I see happening more frequently in trans men um really we talked about blake oh yeah, yeah we talked about blake brock brock brockington is that how you say yep. that thing? are y'all blake i'm brockington. sorry Dominic, as the years have continued we're starting to see frequently increase yes oh increase, like more yeah. frequent yeah definitely yes um more so than us trans women right um and which is all which is it's just always 
surprising um, when I hear that because um, I, I'll, I just uh, I, I'm I'm not y'all y'all we've talked about this about depression. It's something that I just I've never experienced in a sense to that extreme, and so. I want to point out how important it is for um, for us to make sure we're checking on our people, yes, and making sure absolutely. that we are we are um, not letting them. I don't want to say letting because these are adults. So um, check on your people. Check people. on your. It's not easy to be check trans. On them. Check let on them your know people. That we love you and we value. <laughs> yeah. It's what you are bringing to the table because if we think about especially marcel folks. this is a person from the bay area and when we think about how advanced the bay area right. is when it when it comes to taking care of their trans people it is a night and day situation from i live in houston so when i travel right. to exactly san francisco and in that bay area and what they what the trans people have the, right. the even the infrastructure, the visibility, right. they literally have political icons in their city. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, um, the Miss Majors and the, the Sharon Gratians, um, mm -hmm. you know, Courtney Ziegler comes from Dr. Yep. Courtney Ziegler comes from that area. There's so many um juggernauts in our um in our trans activist culture. Um right. Saeed, um, you know what I'm saying? So many people that are building off the foundation that people like Marcel built <laughs> in the in the 90s and i feel like if if he was still alive we would be talking about him in in the lexicon of of trans icons because yes. we, and we still should i don't want to say um because he passed away um, right. we shouldn't that's why we're talking about him now but we would be talking imagine where he could be or what he could be doing and not for community i'm not talking about like just for his utility but imagine if um whatever was going on in his life if you know yeah he had a partner yeah he had a family you know he had a son and you know he had these things right. going on but what right. what if he felt powerful and felt um loved enough to stay here with us How, what what could have came from him it, it, that's just so powerful for me to powerful for me to think because mm -hmm. look at where we are now. Look at where I we mean, are yeah, now. I mean, yeah, so much drastically changed. And yeah, thank you, Diamond. Yeah, because I mean, we should definitely lift up his name. Uh, uh, Alexander Goodrum is another person. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the work before I transitioned socially doing LGBT advocacy work, when we would talk about black trans folks leaders or whatever a lot of folks that came up early on would be those two kyla bronis right and some other folks but like there weren't you know we didn't have as much jameson uh, green jameson green well, yeah white, but, but he white yeah, yeah exactly still but you know so those were the guy that did the um they had the um netflix um documentary on oh marquise Nilsson, who was in that yep he, so. he, that was a little bit I would say probably a later. Later. So like I'm saying probably like before 2010. Like what the first the, decade um, of the 2000s. The trans man that was in the gospel group. That's, yeah, that's uh, further little, back. Little, and he was, little and he was um and he was stealth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
But I mean, I think it's it's just interesting because th- those names got rotated a lot, right? Because there weren't a lot of other names at that time, and I think some of those folks kind of got lost in the mix as we are more digital and and fast paced and. You know, um, even some of their information is on older pages. You know what I mean? They're not kind of keeping up in some of these conversations. So that's another reason I wanted to lift him up because he's an architect of a lot of the stuff that we have now, particularly for, you know, all of us as trans people, but black trans folks, but trans men, trans masculine people. Make sure y'all look him up. Look up his history. Yep. Um, Alexander Goodrum. And as well. what was the other name that you said? Alexander Goodrum. Goodrum, yes. Alexander Goodrum. Make sure that when you are thinking about Black History Month, when you're thinking about mm-hmm. um, Trans um, Visibility Week, I know everybody want to talk about Marsha um, B. Johnson. Everybody want to talk about uh, Miss Majors. And this is not saying that we shouldn't be talking about these people because they right. don't operate from a place of scarcity. But when That's you right. are thinking about um, including people's names and and who you call and and who you want to uplift, make sure you are including these trans men who are black trans men who has laid the work, who have who done the work and who has been um, laying the foundation for us to build off of and be where we are now. So make sure they are included in the lexicon of what we're doing, of what we are uplifting in Mm in our ceremonies, whatever it mm-hmm. is that you're doing in our, in, mm-hmm. that you're creating content, whatever, make sure mm-hmm. you are including their names. That's, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's the roots and particularly for trans masculine people and trans men, we don't have any architecture for community without that butch F to FTM link, because these are folks that came out of those communities and infrastructures as black, you know, out these black queer kind of lesbian ish, spaces, feminist spaces, womanist spaces, right? And had that training that that was the training ground, right? So it still come back to, you know, black women at the end of the day running everything (laughs) in terms of being assigned female at birth and your lived experience, right? Stormy, yes, definitely. And so it's like, anyway, anyway, yeah, look these people up. Going back to shared experiences versus identity labels, it's still connected particularly for this experience for AFAB people there's a connection that's there in terms of our history, in terms of, for some folks, in terms of their journey as well. Let us know what you think. Spaces where it's kind of mm, shared experience definitely leaves room for people who ain't figured it out yet. Like Mia talked about her experience, you know? So uh, let us know what you think. Hashtag Marsha's Plate. When you see yourself, it's, it's something so powerful about that. Yes. Like when you see see that you have history, and that's why it's so important for us to teach Black history in schools, like the right Black history, and not just teach straight Black history, teach right. queer Black history too, and how we were how we were important components in the movement as well. It's so important that for us to see ourselves in a good light. Now we can see ourselves, and most of the time we see ourselves in bad, a bad light. And to give you an example of how we see ourselves in a bad light, um, as a Black community, we at first we used to see ourselves as nannies and slaves and the sidekick and the jokes of uh, on screen. And that was all we had to pet play was the maids and, and all these different things until we, we took a stand and we made a change and we started to see ourselves in different ways. And now we see ourselves as superheroes. 
when there was a time when we didn't even see black folks as superheroes. Okay, so this is my question to you guys. What is, what is some history that you guys remember um, that um, later on in years as you got older was told incorrectly? All <laughs> of it. No, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Um, gosh, um, gr so growing up when I would look at my textbooks, um, they would say things, of course they said slave. So that was a pretty common term, but some books I would hear them saying like indentured servants, which gives a whole nother connotation. Like it almost, yeah. when I think of a servant, I think of. Somebody being hired. Um, you know, like it's some kings and queens and they got yeah. servants bringing them plates of fruits and shit. <laughs> and fanning right. them. It's not for life. They, you know, while they uh, fucking sitting in the sun and they getting fanned by some servants. When I think of that, that is, that is, that is, and I also think of it as they go home and do like they go home at some point like they go home and be with their family and then come and serve the king like when they when this is their job it feels like almost like i'm coming to serve the king i'm coming to um you know what i'm saying this is their job like a voluntary job like even i told you i've, I've been re-watching the crown and you know throughout the whole fucking series they have people waiting on them hand and foot bringing them food bringing them um you know what I'm saying? Bringing, helping them put on their clothes. And, you know, mm -hmm. those are servants to me. Those are, but they're choosing to be in those jobs. They're choosing to work for the royal family. Uh, honey, I, I don't think about that when I think of slaves. They're not choosing this. They're being forced into those situations. And so as I got older, I'm like, yo, like, this is not this language. I, I I'm learning that the language that y'all are using is intentional. Like, it's like, right. and I, that's what I didn't know when I was younger. Like, uh, you would hear the words, and then it brings up certain connotation. But when I'm, when I got older, I realized, particularly when I was in college, and I was, um, when I first, when I first went to school, my major was um, journalism, um, broadcast production. Um, but we had to take journalism classes in there. And within that course, I learned a lot of time that the language you use is really, really important to, to tell a story and to push a certain narrative. And yep. once I realized that using the language was really intentional for people, that's when I, I could look back and say, oh, this is why they were saying indentured servants instead of slaves or you know, in regards to that. So that was the first time that I really looked back and said, um, you know, this was told wrong. And also, you know, just the women, the women being pushed out of the narrative of the civil rights movement. Like I didn't learn about the women who were in the civil rights movement till I got, you know, maybe like, and I went to a black school. So when I got to maybe like my, um, my third year, my third year in college, and so there was a, a women's studies wow. um women's studies group where they it was specific towards the women. And so I didn't have um a women's studies class that was specific towards the women. And so, you know, I learned about Dorothy High, Ella Baker, um, and I was in Mississippi. So of course Fannie Lou Hamer, who was from Mississippi. Um, we learned about a couple of people like that, um, you know, that were in the 
in the history. And I was like, well, why we didn't hear about this all this whole time? Why are we just hearing about Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, you know, all these kind of people? I didn't hear about the the um, the women at all. But there was a woman who was teaching this subject. And so the woman would be like, yeah, this is patriarchy. This is, you know, this is patriarchy. They're centering men and they didn't make sure that they're, when you look at history, you really look for who's not being, um, who is, who is not, um, exactly being featured in this. Make sure you're paying attention. And then when I got into my queer bag, I was like, oh, then I found out about Bayard Rustin. And I'm like, oh, how the hell y'all gonna leave him out when he was the art organizer? Like, he's the one. And it it all started when I got older. I started mm. to learn that I have to be diligent. I have to be the one who's diligent in looking for where are the gaps? Where are the holes? Let me ask the right questions to find the right people. Go down the right rabbit hole instead of just looking at whatever somebody's telling us for face value and saying, boom. You know, what is the, you know, it's just the dudes doing this work. Because I, I would have thought in high school, based on mm. my education from birth to college, that, oh, it was the men out here marching and the women were staying home cooking. Mm. <laughs> I would have not known that any queer people or any women or anybody was doing anything other than the men. Because that's all, the only thing we mm. talked about was the men. Mm-hmm. Wow. What about you, LJ? Uh, my, my experience is a little different uh, between my church situation and being at home. So like some of my like early books were called like, Af my mom was a teacher. So let me just preface with that. So with her being a teacher, you know, she she taught like a lot of, she taught English and did a lot of black, you know, Afro-American lit, you know, back in the day, like the 70s, the 80s. So I have these books like Afro Bets when I was a kid, you know, like ABC books, but it was like black history. I was basically like a uh, homie and sister act too. That was me in school. I was like, oh no, oh no. Like a mom, you know what I'm saying? So I was the one checking the teacher about, oh no, slaves and slaves. You're talking about the black people. Like this is elementary school, middle school and high school. You know, that's just what it was. Cause I did not, but it was real. But we talked about black history at the language we used at my church, which was growing up. It was very like Afro Christianity anchor. They didn't play that. So they were, it was like we were getting this education there to prepare us to be in the world so we could check that shit right there and let them know and be affirmed to be like, that's just not what the fuck it is. At a teacher in second grade, I did a report on Jean Baptiste Du Sablo, the founder of Chicago. This is what, 1990 or something back then or something? I don't know, 80s. And he's like, oh, you made that person up. I didn't make him up. He's the founder of Chicago. You're a teacher? <laughs> Yeah, but I was in second grade. I was like, what, eight, nine? So that's the 80s still, probably. You know, so, you know, but, you know, I got him together. I brought my little uh, Afro Bets book to, to school the next day because Afro Bets, as a kid, I learned about Ira Aldridge, the actor, and learned about, you know, Alexander, you know, Alexander Dumas, all this stuff, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, uh, uh, Ammonia Lewis, who just got the uh, stamp and everything, like all those things were just a part of my uh, upbringing. I'm very grateful for that. So when I got to college, nigga, I had a woman's version too of Afro Best. Uh, I was a little baby feminist, all this shit, you know, all that kind of shit. But when I got to college, I got some opportunities at University of Wisconsin-Madison to study 
black women's studies as a concentration within my women's studies uh, program. I mean, within my Afro-American studies major. So I anchored in history. And that's where I, I thought I wanted to do history, general white people shit. And if I was getting irritated, I said, take your ass over there. <laughs> I said, boy, you better be an Afro-American studies major and save yourself the hassle. <laughs> and that's where we learned about what you said, Diamond, about the history. We learned how to look at history and look about who's not there and understand it's not objective and look at all these different pieces. And that's how we approached all them classes. So yeah, that's, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And then some of the organizing, ab- organizing kind of spaces I was in, there was a lot of consciousness kind of raised. And so we talked about Bayard Rustin and Kyle, we, we learned about Audre Lorde and had these spaces with other black uh, queer folks at that time, mostly. With no out trans people at that time, but we were able to cultivate these spe- these spaces at predominantly white institutions because we're not trying to we're trying to maintain there. So those kept us alive in many ways. Um, but yeah, that's where I, that's where I learned I learned more about queer black people though when I, once I got to college and in those spaces. But it was mostly folks involved with like activism and organizing. Elba Baker, uh, Septima Clark, um, and folks like that, and obviously Bayard Rustin and I was that boy from Sister Act Two, basically. <laughs> You're talking about the uh, <laughs> the little little military. The one yeah, that the that was me. The one that had the high note. Mm-hmm. That was me. One of the white girls said, "You a black freak in elementary school." Back when freak meant you were really into something, not like uh, okay. freak today. But like she's like, "You a black freak." They said, "What's your favorite color? Red, black, and green." No, since since kindergarten. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. So I really didn't know how colorism played a big part in history when I was younger. Um, I just thought that we were all black. I didn't think that like, oh, some people had certain privileges and some people didn't until I got older. And I was like, wait a minute, why? Like, cause you know, you would hear certain things like, oh, you, you, you were a house slave and like, you know, people will make comments and stuff. But I really didn't understand what that meant when I was younger. I was kind of like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess, you know, they had light-skinned people in the house because they were light-skinned and dark-skinned people. I just really didn't have a clue about it because it wasn't really taught in school. And um, doing my own research and um, as I've gotten older, just seeing the, um, the impact that that had on how Black people see each other and how we actually socialize had its negative um negative effect on it in in the long a long toll a lot in the long run um it kind of broke us apart instead of unifying uh of course unifying us because they were trying to uh systematically dismantle us um but that was one of them yeah i didn't that's not something that i learned about in books from teachers the colorism wasn't something that I that I um I hear I remember even being mentioned mm-hmm. in um it wasn't called colorism definitely that was that's the more um academia kind of word that they use but um you know what I'm saying like I would the concept was just social it was Grow up hearing color struck. Somebody's color struck. Yeah, you know? color struck. It was yeah. Um, yeah, that really was the word. Color struck, or um, um, you know, or you it, it will come out in weird like little ways, like 
you'll hear like two women talking and one will say, well, I can't wear that lipstick, that lip color because I'm too dark for that. Um, or you'll hear, um, you know, a light-skinned yeah. girl say, oh, you know, blonde just looks better on me because I'm light-skinned. You'll hear, um, you just just little strange things that made you, that taught you that color was important to us. Never heard this from white people. This is definitely, right. I'm not saying that white people, you know, don't choose based on color and treat you different based on color. I'm not saying that at all. But growing up, this is what I was a black girl. A black, you know, was a little boy, a black boy. So they were treating me, if they were racist, they was treating me like a black boy. Um, and so I didn't get, I got the colorism stuff internally. Like I got the the being treated different because I was light skinned in a positive way because from black from black people. It I never right. with my white teachers, I never heard them say something that indicated that they were treating me in a special way because I was mm. lighter. In culture, when I'm in, in, in at church, when I'm with black people. Yes, there had, were clear indications that I was treated in a better way because I was light skinned. I didn't get that from white people. I got that from black people. And so, mm -hmm. and as a person coming up in a in a colorist family that I noticed was colorist, and I didn't have that language, but but I noticed that I come in, I come from a color struck family, and yeah. so I quickly quickly because i was a queer child because i understood the feeling of feeling less than and being treated different because i was queer i easily quickly early on made the connection of how this must feel if you're being treated differently because okay. you're dark skin and and mm. who, who it was was my youngest brother my youngest brother is the darkest of our of my mom's children and there was a clear distinction in how the people around us, adults, my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, everybody, my the his father, everybody, adult around us, how they talked about his beauty, how they talked about him, mm -hmm. how they talked about um, us in comparison to him, and in, and it's <laughs> never direct. It's we come. I re, this is something I remember very very distinctly. I remember. That we were getting ready to go to church for Easter. All of us mm. was getting dressed up. My mama wasn't a church girl, but she would let like our aunties or our grandma or whoever was into church come get us and take us to church while she's sitting yeah. home and she could do what she want to do since she ain't got no kids <laughs> in her face. <laughs> but mm. she dressed us up and all of us was in suits. I was a little boy. So mm. all of us was in suits. I was the tallest one because I was, I was probably like nine. I know we were in Boston. So I probably was like, um, like 10. So when she came in to pick us up, every single one of the people who came to pick us up said something about me and my little and my other light skin. He's not as light as me, but he's lighter than my youngest brother. So he's like the middle of he's like a caramel light skin complexion. And so I noticed that when they came in, it wasn't that they said something negative about my little brother. 
is that they didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. They didn't say anything. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was yeah. it was yeah. all about you know oh um you know how they say to little boys um oh he gonna be a handsome uh, a, a heartbreaker or something it was all these yeah. kind of things about my eye color because I have like green and brown eyes and it was that and it was just nothing said about him they didn't say anything negative but they didn't say anything mm-hmm. about him and we mm-hmm. all three were standing right there and they were talking about my middle brother his curly hair because he has the curlier hair out of all of us and so that's another thing that goes into the texturism and mm-hmm. in in that moment that was the first moment not the first that i th- that i saw it being acted out the praxis of it where mm-hmm. from that moment on and i don't know if it's some fucking weird shit but for i and my brother I, it worked on my whatever from that moment i don't on, know if, sorry that in that moment I was very intentional about building my brother's confidence. Very, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. intentional in mm-hmm. saying nice things about him and doing nice things, telling him he was ha- handsome. Very, very intentional about it. Now, I don't know. It, it wasn't on no savior complex. A lot of it, it wasn't. I'm tr- I wasn't trying to save him. I just was a kid trying to be nice to my brother when I see other people not being saying stuff to him. Mm-hmm. And. I couldn't say anything back to adults because I was a fucking kid, but I knew (laughs) I could say something nice to my brother. I could say something. I could say when my grandmother would call him her little monkey, she was thinking it was cute. Yeah, she wasn't saying it like, oh, you little monkey. She wasn't saying it. She was like, no, no, I understand. Yeah. So she wasn't, she was saying it like that. And I was, and I would say at 10 and 11, don't call him no monkey mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I in that moment that that happened to us, to him, I, I clocked it and it was it didn't feel right, but it was a part mm-hmm. of the culture. And I didn't know I didn't have the language for it. I didn't know the reason for it. I didn't know anything. I just know that there was a weirdness around color and he was being treated differently. And if you mm-hmm. ask my brother now. He has said it multiple times. He's like, I have my confidence about myself because my sister, my sister always made me feel beautiful. My sister always mm-hmm. made me feel handsome. If I knew that if I was looking fly, when 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 Diamond came in the room, she was going to acknowledge that I was looking fly. I would, I would, he said he would look for it because mm-hmm. I was the one who was doing it. And I didn't say that I was, I didn't know why. I just thought it was something, I'm, it was my brother and I wanted him to feel special too. And so probably one reason why we are so close now. And it, mm. it just, I, I didn't, I didn't under, I couldn't give you the theory behind it. I couldn't give you the history. I couldn't give you anything, but I, I noticed really only on that it was different in how they treated him and how they treated um, me and my other little brother. And so it wasn't school that taught me anything about colorism, any reference to it. I don't mean, I don't remember anything being referenced to the difference in color in black people in school being referenced. I got that stuff way later on when we, when I get to college and people get to talking about, you know, Thurgood Marshall and passing black people and mm. you get what I'm saying. Um, I, I think in high school, I started having these conversations and in junior high, I told you I was in the 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 Pan African fucking um, 
acting crew. So they hey. would bring up sometimes and bring it up sometime. But I was too young to understand everything that they were talking about. I was getting the concept, but I was I didn't really understand it. So it, I didn't get that from books at all. That came mm-hmm. from people and, and people contextualizing it for me. And, you know, my experiences contextualizing it. And that's a long way for me to say I didn't learn colorism <laughs> in books and stuff. I learned that about in, so, in culture. So my mom is light-skinned or light-skinned, as we used to say. And so when I was a kid, the kids on the block sometimes would be like, you adopted. That ain't your mama. She Puerto Rican. You know, yeah. like, that, ain't your, that is not your mama. You are too dark-skinned. That is not your mama. She don't look black. She look, she look Puerto Rican. That's what they would say. But we know Puerto Ricans are black. But, you know, it's the 80s for kids. And so, and everybody on the block was black. And the whites were still moving out because we were there. And they said, we got to go. But, because um, <laughs> that's how they do in Milwaukee. Real good about it. But, um, you know, like the first time I ever dealt with colorism as a kid, there's, <laughs> there's this girl, her, dad, her father is black. She was mixed. Mom was white. We were at a Girl Scouts uh, camp thing. Uh, she said, she called me some kind of monkey dark fudge some kind of chocolate you know some you know whatever everything you know all that shit back there you know whatever deepest darkest africa and i'm like your dad is black (laughs) you darker than me what are you talking i'm not i said oh that's weird you should be proud of your black you know i'm so grateful because even the the damn preschool i went to had like a pan, kind of had an uh, Afrocentric kind of anchoring. So I'm only like set six or something. You know, this is first grade or something. But it was so, I had all this reinforcement at home, reinforcement at the preschool, reinforcement at church. Jesus has always been black. We didn't even go into a Eurocentric type of church building. We went to an African structure, Cameroonian. Since the 70s, it was like that. That was my default. I didn't even know white Jesus is a thing. I'm like, Jesus, what? What is this? You know, <laughs> you know, because it was not blue eyes, blonde hair. What's this shit? There is no lamb's wool with that. You know what is that? And so, because of that reinforcement, even as a you know six year old in my little Girl Scout troop, brownie troop, when this girl says this shit to me, I was like, "But your color is beautiful." Black. I, my literal response is, "Black is beautiful." Why would you say this about your father? And then say, you know, I didn't get it as a child. Because it was just so outside, you know, because, you know, you black kid. School is as a child. I was like, this is white people world. And then I go home. I, my home is my real life is at church and with my family, basically, on my neighborhood and all that. So, you know, this still was an extension of school. This brownie truth thing. My mom pulled me out of there right away, you know, because she was like, fuck all that. <laughs> like, we're not taking no more. You don't need to be Ruby Bridges and shit at five. Like, we just going, you just trying to go. You know, sell some cookies or some shit. You know what I mean? Like, I know that's right. How here, Little Rock Nine and shit. You know, at five. You know, but anyway, but yeah. So I was, I was aware. You know, that was my. I remember that was my first, uh, the very first time I think I remember being really aware of uh, colorism and people being color struck because pretty much everybody in my family was dark skinned except for my mom. So like, I didn't really. Well, her side has some other light brights, as we used to say. You know, that's actually, yeah, that was some of my early language. I used to call my cousin a light bright. Because mm. she was light-skinned. I used to call her a banana. <laughs> you know, because I wouldn't do that now. 
right? But like as a kid, you know, I you know that's 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 and I, I didn't really I meant it playfully. And kind of, I mean, it's not definitely it's not the same. But just like you were saying with your grandmother, whereas like you know you didn't mean nothing about it. That's it, it, it's it's culturally a part of like what's normal to talk like yeah. that, right? And so. Um, especially then, but yeah, that was my, uh, like growing up, like I didn't really, I mean, I dealt with colorism at school. If we all, <laughs> my dark skin, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already a criminal. I've already done something wrong. Even as a black girl in school, it was like, you're going to treat me differently than you're going to treat these other black girls. We, we don't go in grading. If so, God forbid, somebody darker than me, that means they looking at them more than they looking at me. And whoever's lighter than me, they looking at me more than they looking at them to be on some fuck shit. And I can say the same thing, the same way they say it, depending on who this white teacher is today, this white woman who's the teacher today. Because <laughs> usually it would be in that context of who's the white woman who's the teacher who ain't used to black people. She's going to bring her bullshit into it. And so, you know, uh, but within the community, I, I think I was really sheltered from a lot of colorism. You know, my sister has stories within the family about dealing with folks being color struck and, you know, di different treatment. But I think I was really sheltered from that growing up. And I'm grateful for that because, you know, um, you know, they, you know, like you said, similar to you, Diamond, what you're saying with your brother, that reinforcement is so important because everywhere is saying <laughs> other, some other bullshit, just as black people, but particularly if you're a dark skinned black person, even you got this whole layer because black period is considered criminal. Black period mm -hmm. is considered bad. Black period is considered guilty. The color of some black. shit before you even <laughs> like yeah, right. the color it's all this assumption that you did something. Yeah. You know, um, and I definitely feel Always it more since transitioning though. Like it's a whole different game being red, you know, cis assumed black man in the world in dark skin. This a whole different, you know, this is a different kind of um uh level of judgment. Of mm -hmm. Yeah. So criminality on your blackness. In my as I got older. And I was trying to, yeah, so I knew colorism ex existed. So I knew that it existed. But mm -hmm. then I, I, I felt some kind of way because, and I think it was because of my queerness, because I couldn't, it, I guess it would be different if I was just a straight and narrow motherfucker just benefiting. My queerness didn't allot me many benefits. The benefit. Like, it yeah. would actually push me away, out of things. So I couldn't, when I started to get older, and I'm, I'm trying to evaluate, you know, when it, when it was, when colorism was working for me and working against me, or um, when my queerness was working against me and were working, it never was working for me, child. <laughs> It um I couldn't ever tell because you know intersectionality, I couldn't ever tell until somebody said something. When I'm like, oh, you're doing this because I'm light skinned and you making you're making some kind of connection to to me, um, a dude or I, you know, he take you out on a date and he start having these weird at weird ass color conversations. Yeah. Um, the whole I only fuck or, with light skinned girls and. Yeah, weird shit like that. Or um, you'll be in a space with nothing but dark skinned folks and they're being weird because you they acting funny to you because of your color. 
because uh, we talked about earlier trauma trauma response. <laughs> you know, in ways, I've been yeah. in situation like situations yeah. like that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but then I'm like, hmm. When is it? Are you being like that to me because I'm trans? Are you being like that to me? Yes, I'm hearing mm-hmm. both indicators. I'm hearing like how somebody say, it? like, how do I gauge it? How do when I'm looking back at my past? Now that I'm older, I understand that you can't really measure it. It all is happening all at once. So you never know when it's benefiting you, when this is harming you more, when this is harming you less, when this is benefiting you more. Um, you know, is it passability? Is it your light skinness? Is it your ability, um, you know, class in regards to education that's helping you get in these spaces? Um, there's There's been spaces that I'm like, oh my God, this is really, really benefiting me. And then there are spaces where like, you know, I, you know, like when I look at people who had success, like um, in certain situations, I'm like, you know, there's tons of people who have more success than I did. You see what I'm saying? In certain genres that I've been, that I've tried to be in, that were dark skin, that was light skin, that was whatever. There was it was a lot of times that um, I really couldn't tell, and so I and I stopped trying to make the distinction of when you know when is this benefiting me, when is this not benefiting me, and just try to I guess where I'm at now in my life is where. I'm just being very, very conscious about how I'm looking at things and how I'm, um, you know, when I'm making decisions, making sure that those things are not, um, any kind of colorism bullshit is not coming into my um, decision-making. And when I'm, when I'm, when I'm making, you know, when I'm casting something, when I'm brought on, that I make these decisions, that I make these decisions around there, um, around, you know, uplifting people who I think need to be uplifted, regardless of, um, you know, regardless of color or when I'm seeing too many light-skinned people, um, where's some dark-skinned people? And being really <laughs> conscious of seeing it, you know, where previously, when I, in my younger years, I wouldn't even think about it. I wouldn't even think about it in the sense of um I definitely because my I mean, queerness yeah. was so prevalent. My queerness was so prevalent. I was too busy worried about am I gonna be treated weird about my transness? I wasn't thinking about my right. color. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I transitioned, mm-hmm. my color was I was not thinking about my color child. I was thinking about I, I once they found out I'm trans, honey, it's about to go down here from here. <laughs> Light skin, dark skin or not, child. Mm-hmm. Motherfuckers is about to wear me out. And yeah. that's what I was thinking in my young years. And so I feel like as I get older, I'm thinking about it a little bit more. It's interesting hearing y'all's dynamic, like growing up as black, like um, like the different things you went through, like um, LJ, how you were, you like at the gate, you had all this history um, that we talk about the different books you read and stuff, and you were mm-hmm. able to educate your schools, which is sickening. And then you dime in like, um, like the different things that you went through with your brothers and how you've seen how they were treated versus you and how you, you didn't know exactly what it was, but you still, you still poured into your brothers and stuff and let them know like that they're, that they're good people and that, you know, they're no different than, than you or your, any of your light skinned brothers or sisters. I think that's beautiful. Because your mom was white that you, that you, she, she did wasn't equipped to give you that kind of culture. Well, of well, I wouldn't because she's white. I wouldn't say she was wasn't equipped. I would just say because she 
um she she did what she thought she was supposed to do so my my um my stepfather was uh, is dark skinned and so she thought um that by like um educating me by like showing me different materials and um showing me my background and um she would listen to her her um husband which is my stepfather now and he would say oh you don't know how to take care of black children so let us take care of them and so um, he ended up beating us all the time and he would always call it shit colored and he would, um, he, he just, he would, he would make fun of us being racially uh, mixed. And um, it, it just, we were never affirmed. Like we, I remember one time I, um, I got my ass well because I told them I wasn't a nigger. And this wow. was after watching a, um, I forgot what I was watching, but I was watching, uh, I forgot what show it was, but Cicely Tyson was about to get beat by some guy and he was calling her the N word. And I remember being like, I will never let Ms. anybody Jane call Pittman. me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. He was about to, she was, she was about, yeah, I don't and know Jane what it was Pittman. called, but I remember watching and I rem- and she was, I guess she was in a laundromat or something. She was with, she, I forgot, but I remember him calling her uh, the N-word and being like, damn, like, I don't never want nobody to call me that. Like, I would never let anybody call me that. And so people around me, like the older folks would be like, nigga, go do this, nigga, go do that. And I'll be like, I'm not that. That's not what I am. And instead of them thinking that I was saying, don't call me the N-word, like, mm-hmm. out of respect, they thought that I was saying that I wasn't Black. Mm-hmm. And so I got beat because of it. And so like a lot of my life was like reminding me um, that I wasn't black all the way, but black enough to get beat up. I mean, get beat to, to know my place. It was really weird. But growing up, like when, once I got out of my household and really understood who I was, I'm never going to prove my blackness to anybody. Cause I heard this weekend in Philadelphia that that biracial black people weren't black, and I was just like, oh, okay. That's I bet you had shit happen to me that a lot of people who aren't biracial had them happen to because I'm in the I was I was raised in the rural South. Like I remember walking down the street, barefoot country, to the corner store, and three white boys two in the back it was it was two white men in the trunk and two white boys in the trunk and they, they were calling me the n-word as they drove down the street i would never forget that and it was it was broad daylight i i was yeah i've, I've been through a lot in the rural south like actually going downtown and seeing the kkk whole like rallies there that shit was crazy and that's how it was in rural Texas. I mean, you know, yeah. you know what's so like, wild, though? It didn't though. matter if you was light-skinned. They wore you out. Go ahead. I'm sorry. To your point. To your point. To your point. <laughs> right there. It's like one thing that makes the United States system of slavery totally different than the rest of the diaspora is the one-drop rule. That's the, that's, everybody else got gradient. Mestizo, this, da 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 quadrant, da 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 That's how South America, all that, Caribbean, all that. Here, it was one drop. They're like, Carol Channing is black. 
you know, people's career, all that kind of stuff. So, like, I, I do think it's kind of ahistorical to say some shit like that. And, I, you know, I don't know what people's family situations are or if that's a part of their family situation. But I feel like that's wild because if, if you part of this piece of the diaspora, you probably got people of all kinds of shades in your family because that's just how that shit shook out. One thing I did appreciate, too, about the church, though, is that in the children's program, I mean, is that you got reinforcement about different shades of black people. You saw different kinds of black people and different colors of black people. So it was like in that uh, in that situation, it wasn't like it. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, we we so pretty. We come from dark blue, black to albino. You know what I'm saying? And we got all these shades and gradients in between. But it was it was um, but it was just like this. Affirm, you know, Grant, you know, La La Land. It was great. But point is, we black. We all black. At the end of the fucking day, white folks don't give a fuck. You black. Now, when we all together, that's when they're going to have some issues. As a dark-skinned person, I'm always aware of my fucking color, right? But it just depends on the context I'm in when it's going to be, like you said, Diamond, you both said, like, depend on your context, where it's going to present, where it's going to be more of an issue, your, 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 uh, your color. But it's like, this dark skin means, I assume, you know, depending on the situation, pretty much all situations, I, I, I have to read it with the color. With, with color in mind too because it's still there's still an element of criminality that is placed on it and if i go i'm trans that will save my ass if i say i'm queer that will save my ass plenty of fucking times in my situations because they'll associate that adjacent to whiteness oh yeah that's true you know they don't want to they don't want to get white gay people mad and that that it, you know that's been that's been a part of my lived experience but i also worked at a lot of lgbt spaces so the dynamic in the workspace is everybody's lgbt so that already takes a dynamic <laughs> off the table and then now you're dealing with class and race and you know so i mean these white folks you know they play with this power shit and for them we just in it and they say closer to white <laughs> <laughs> what is it in the black get back well all right i was we were gonna talk about something else but i think we got a little bit extensive in this conversation <laughs> um and i think that yeah i think let us know how mm. you know history was taught to you and how uh -huh. you up thinking one thing or it's being kind of sugar-coated in one way and then told to you when you got older and you got quote-unquote woke how did that reveal itself in your experience um let us know you know in certain how did the how did you become woke <laughs> when it comes to history and you know black history um mm -hmm. and anything that you want to kind of add into the colorism conversation hashtag Marsha's plate and let us know and i think we did a show and happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. Day. Oh, yeah. We I black, y'all. I could be black in the black, black, y'all. Sorry. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> black, 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 honey. And hashtag Marcia's Play if you know any specific trans history that we don't know, any mm -hmm. specific black trans history that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. Make sure you look up oh, Alexander Good. Great series. Um, so Raquel Willis is doing a great series on her Instagram this month where mm. like every day of the month she has been releasing videos on trans um, black history so check her out um, awesome. she has been on the show of course um, 
Um, she has been, hey. a, a, we have interviewed her, her a couple of years ago on the show, but on her Instagram, Raquel, Raquel Willis, um, she um, she is doing a great trans history, like really deep dive in each one of the characters every day of the month. And so she is hey. really doing her thing. I love it. And so, yeah, follow her and tell her that we, you know, you heard about her series this month from here. Um, yeah, she's doing a great job. I love it. She's get, really getting real detailed and I love it. So, yeah. All right. We will see y'all next week. All right. Peace. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamondstylz at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Every little thing's going to be all right.